0: The reason it's so popularized is because of the importance of money. And because there's a misconception about entrepreneurship being about money, which it isn't. Like if you look at Start With a Wife from Simon Sinek, you get a totally different approach. If you, so I think there's a big difference between people who are young, growing up, wanting to become an entrepreneur because they can make more money in their right. perception, and people who are actually moving away from the corporate field. Because it's becoming so diluted with money-making decisions that they're like, but this is not what I'm about. And start their own business or become an entrepreneur to steer away specifically from those money-making decisions.
1: (laughs) Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together
0: with my co host, Shandu. Shandu. What a smooth how are you doing? opening today. Diego, what can I say? Smooth. I'm having a good day. Yeah, yeah. How about yourself?
1: Felt a little under the weather before, but nothing that a little sleep doesn't help. And in the topic of today, I think sleep will be also an important factor to consider. Okay. But before we get into that, anyone who's tuning in, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at Diego Amerali. And also, we recently launched our profile on Instagram at Convos. You can find us there. It's still empty, but start following us. We are building up some stuff to keep you up to date. And be
0: be tuned for more. Be tuned for more. Yeah, I think, I think, a rest is one of the things that is underestimated. I'm not necessarily thinking we're going into rest that much, but we can we can mention it as part of the topic. Because we're we're gonna talk about a work for yourself dream. So I think what's important for us to know is that from our perspective, at least I'm gonna talk from my perspective. I'm not a first generation entrepreneur. So I do feel Like, I've been brought up with a different perception already, and if I remember correctly, you're not a first-generation entrepreneur either. So, does that give us an advantage or a disadvantage when it comes to the topic of working for yourself?
1: I think it's a bit of both. And on that topic, yeah, I can agree that we're both not first-generational entrepreneurs, but... Our upbringings may differ also in the sense of my upbringing has been mostly, you know, the, the regular you go to school, but I wasn't really ever much involved in the business side of things, but I was always offered the freedom to try stuff. So yes, it's an advantage, but on the other side, it doesn't have to be an advantage. You can also gain it through other avenues of your upbringing, through your social circles, your school. And one thing I do want to bring up with school education system, we are both from Freyatunium, right? And back then, or I'm not sure if if you're in the same, oftentimes that was seen as an elite school or, or the school that...
0: It was seen to, was seen as like in the local context, in the local context. Maybe particular. not worldwide right. or globally, but in a local yeah. context, definitely.
1: Yeah, in, in the local context. But if you compare it, it's who do you meet at that school? Like what group of people do you encounter? What families, what network do you encounter? And in that sense, you can compare it to the local Aspect, but also if we zoom out globally, the same applies to the leading schools like Harvard, MIT. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I feel like universities is pretty that, much that, the same. Yeah. That environment through your upbringing kind of also nudges you in certain directions. But coming back to the third generation entrepreneur, <laughs> it can and it doesn't have, have its advantages, but I certainly can understand why you say you have certain advantages because you have been brought up more in that sense, correct?
0: But but yeah, but still, just, just to counter that argument though, like if I would look back at my fellow classmates from high school, yes, the environment was often either to become a specialist or an entrepreneur. But if I would go back and I would take a school picture of a regular class, in general... I could go back to my yearbook. Did, there weren't people at that time thinking of, I'm going to become an entrepreneur.
1: No, like, I, I, was, I, I agree I, with
0: that. Right? So, so it's, it's, if I would go to a yearbook photos now, the majority would still be working for a company, right? That they don't necessarily own. So there is only a small percentage of people that are entrepreneurs and but you do notice a, a significant rise over over time, and especially now. Even a conversation that I was having now, like people who have like a lot of corporate experience, just and we had a couple of them as guests on this on this podcast as well, that are just like, yeah, we're leaving the corporate.
1: Yeah, people it's who like- have completely pivoted and shifted career.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. So you have people who kind of. They've pivoted out of the corporate world and started from this for themselves in the same respective field or the specialization they have because they're that good that different companies want to work with them. And you have people that ventured out to completely go towards their passion or something they're passionate about or more towards their ikigai. And then you also have people who just decide to start for themselves. And that's all those people are not necessarily second or third generation entrepreneurs either. So there's like a very big field, and I think because we opened a question, I think a couple of weeks ago about are you an artist, Diego, or, or, or do you see yourself as a designer even? And the same question can be asked here: Do you do you see yourself as as an entrepreneur, and why well, would you say so? Yes or no.
1: I think there's two definitions we, we need to define first, right? Okay. One, the, the origins of the word entrepreneur and yeah. two, like how it's interpreted and perceived today. So if you look at the origins of the word entrepreneur, it's basically, I think it's a French word, to un- entreprendre, like to undertake. Yeah. Sorry, excuse yeah. my French only, yeah, two, yeah. two years of French at, in high at, school. At, yeah. uh, but uh, it's basically to yeah. take action, to undertake something in a business venture. So yeah. Basically, you're going to found and take action to start your own thing. That is the essence of entrepreneur. And as time has shifted, and especially the rise today with the quote-unquote work-for-yourself dream, entrepreneurship has been romanticized to a certain degree, I think.
0: Oh, you're you're jumping straight into it, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I,
1: I think a few of our, previous past guests have have had a similar opinion as well, but basically it's been overhyped, it's been romanticized, it's been given associations that kind of exceed or embellish the initial origins of the word as in, look, I founded so many companies. Look, I'm doing things on my own, <laughs> especially now influencers. Look, this is the rich lifestyle of an entrepreneur driving Lambos, etc. So are
0: they intertwined? Is is it is like work working for yourself and being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur the same thing? Do you feel that it's the same thing? Do you, do you separate the, the two of them?
1: I think they can be mutually exclusive, but there are overlaps. So entrepreneur, looking back at the origins, is yeah. to undertake a business and it doesn't have to be your own because a very popularized term nowadays is also
0: is entrepreneur. entrepreneurs,
1: yeah. 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 Be undertaking action or undertaking a project within a bigger business. So it's the act, the art of undertaking if, if, if we're going into definitives. And if you bring that to working for yourself, So, what does working for yourself mean? Is that meaning you are not beholden to responsibility to a employer to someone?
0: Funny thing, you're always you always have accountability. So that's the funny thing about it.
1: Or is it at a transactional level that you your income goes straight to you or to your business and not necessarily to a extra chain of flow. So there's different aspects to look at it. How 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 do you see it?
0: I, I would say work for yourself means that you kind of get to decide.
1: So the disagree like every, every aspect. aspect. Yeah,
0: yeah. Every aspect of whether it's the financial side, which clients you get or which projects you take on. You work for yourself. So you're basically accountable for yourself, but then again you don't have accountability towards somebody's towards someone senior. Because you have accountability to your clients, I mean. So, and and I think, I'm not fairly 100% sure, but I would say all entrepreneurs work for for themselves. But I'm not sure that everybody that works for themselves is an entrepreneur. I'm not sure if you would, you could fully put a freelancer under the term. I was about to throw
1: that term to you. Like, where would you put freelancer? Yeah, so that that
0: makes it difficult. Because a freelancer does work for for put?
1: I yeah. want to throw another one. So okay. we, we discussed entrepreneur and working for yourself in a spectrum, right? Yeah. And then, where would you put freelancer and where would you put business owner?
0: First of all, when you talk about business owner, are you what? What size is the business? Are you talking about? So that makes it difficult already, and it also depends on what's your focus as an entrepreneur. Just I, I, I feel like we in Dutch we have different terms, and one of the terms for an entrepreneur is just being on their own, like it's, it's a, it's a a personal, personal business, right? So you don't have any employees, yeah, so right there. Yeah. You don't have any, anyone that you're paying salaries to are, and in a sense, that's also entrepreneurship, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I I disagree. Like basically the biggest entrepreneurs have built empires and they they started so many different things, but you, you have a
0: scaling is scaling. Does if you're not scaling your business, does that not does that mean that you're not an entrepreneur? No. Okay. Could you elaborate?
1: Not scaling your business doesn't have to mean you're not an entrepreneur because then we come to the definition of a business owner, but also do you need to scale? Why do you need to scale? Why do you want to scale? So
0: or why do you want to scale? Right? Yeah. So, so if but, you decide to become an entrepreneur or start working for yourself because you want to better the world and you don't see organizations that fit your vision so, of how you can make the world a better place.
1: So it, and making yeah. the world a better place doesn't have to fall under entrepreneurship.
0: No, it doesn't either. You could very well become an employee of, of, of yeah. a company.
1: So, so coming so, back to the origins yeah. of the word entrepreneur is basically just undertaking action for a business, for a for-profit something and of course you can do it in a non-profit fashion but at the end yeah. of the day you need to uh, create or do something that generates an income
0: to sustain so your life there's an interesting conversation we've also had like in different groups or different discussion with different people and that's that's like Gary Vaynerchuk once famously said it and asked Gary Fee that yeah. and I took offense yeah, I to it I, yeah, I, think I took I offense to it at the time. It. That he's right. saying, like, listen, if you get a salary, if you're working, each month, yeah, if it- if you're working for a boss and get a salary each month, you're not an entrepreneur. Like, people were like, "How could you say that?" And he's like, "Listen, if you're really an entrepreneur, a real entrepreneurs know what it's like to have a business and pay others, but not basically be able to pay
1: yourself." You have. Full accountability and you accept all the risk associated. Yes.
0: So there's a lot of risk, risk association. And like if you've never experienced a situation where at the end of the month, you didn't, the only source of income would be from your business and not having a salary from another job. That's what differentiates. And I'm not sure if I'm watching like how he explained it because I feel like I'm watching it a bit. But the idea was simple. If you work for a company or for somebody and you get a salary each month, that doesn't, that you're not a true entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur only kind of. Yeah, works, there's definitely nuances, yeah. I
1: think, to that explanation he gave. But I think the way Gary P delivers his messages is very radical, yeah, it right? Yeah, it,
0: it, has, it has to be very radical to yeah. get the point across.
1: Exactly, but it,
0: it makes total sense. So in that in that perspective, you like, yeah, yeah, the
1: the risk aspect, basically with anything is very important. Basically, or it's oftentimes overlooked or underestimated because you are. But I think there's
0: some value in that. In I think in there's exactly? Value in it
1: in, in not taking the risk or in, taking it.
0: Yeah, and taking the risk because you think differently. Like, you do think differently when there's a situation that you could go bankrupt as a company versus like, if it's not going well, I still have my salary. Right. It's like, it's, it's a different situation. So coming back, remind me, how was, this, was the
1: switch for you? Gradual or was it, were you ever in a window period that you... Didn't have a predictable income.
0: Yeah, so so definitely. So the reason I got upset by what Gary Vaynerchuk mentioned is because at the time I was still working full time and for uh, for another company. And while I had the entrepreneurial tendencies, while people, a lot of people thought that company that I was working for was actually my company that I had stock in the car shares in the company, which I didn't because of the way that I profiled myself in the sense that I did consider sure. it be being my business, even though I didn't own the business, I felt if you work for a company, that's your company like you have that responsibility. It's not like yeah. okay, I'm getting paid and, and their company so in, in the year just case, do what basically. they say
1: the yeah. the mindset was already there, but applied to said yeah. company.
0: Yeah, but the, the biggest—I wouldn't call it an issue. It, it's it's valuable to have, and in other senses, it makes it harder to work within a corporate environment. Is that I at that time already for over twenty-five years had been pushed towards entrepreneurial tendencies by by my by my own father. You know, so for my mom, my I think my mother's most important thing was like, you have to study and you have to graduate. You have to get your degree. My dad looked at it from a totally different perspective. He was like, you have to experience how the world works out of sight of where you were being raised. Like, you have to at least experience different parts of the world, world and see the differences between the Europe and South America and the Caribbean and the US and understand how how different these societies are and and how you have to adapt to change and to culture and environment. And then on top of that, wherever we would go, he would always approach things from an entrepreneurial perspective. So if he would go on a vacation and we would be in a restaurant, he would be talking about the service, the quality of the food, Mm. what could be better, what was really good and everything.
1: Basically, identifying the gaps, identifying the, like the, good, the gaps, the
0: processes, and I wasn't very much aware of it. But there are interesting things that my dad once went to a web to a seminar in in the U.S. and he came back and he was listen. You know that book, you know the book that you're that you're using for 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 one of your courses. The authors of that book were being discussed at, at that conference. Which book concert. was it? The Experience Economy, Pine and Gilmore. Okay. Have you read that haven't, one? I haven't heard of it. Sorry, pretty pretty, pretty I, cool I, book. I yeah.
1: imagine a bit.
0: So, so when it comes to leisure studies, especially, Pine and Gilmore and the Experience Economy was, was a pretty big deal like 20 years ago. And what made it so exceptional is that they discussed the change from a commodity to a product to an experience. So the best example that I can give from it is when I was in San Diego for the very first time, I went into a Nike store. I was looking for a running shoe. And the guy said, and I I couldn't decide between the different shoes. And he said, like, these these are shoes for if you're a really stable runner, like an experienced runner. And these are shoes for people that they don't have a proper balance. So when they run, they need kind of support, Some support. Yeah. because otherwise they're going to twist their ankle or get a knee injury or something like that and then you had like the in between one between the experienced running shoe and, and, uh, and the beginner shoe and he put me on a treadmill so he's like okay you can run on this treadmill and he filmed with an iPad while I was running on the treadmill and we briefly discussed like what he saw by, based on the film the way I was running and based on that, we made the decision which shoe I would go for. That's basically just an experience from a commodities perspective. I just, I just it's need a shoe you buy a shoe footwear. I just need yeah. footwear, right? And then from a product perspective, it goes a little bit further as getting the right shoe that's the right fit. But then from the experience perspective, I almost felt that I, I couldn't leave the store without buying. New
1: yeah, shoes. like the the whole. Sales closing is basically the, the yeah, experience. It's, kind it's of the experience, the
0: deal. right? And it's it's and, and to show you how driven that experience is, and then we get to entrepreneurship as well to give you an idea how, how important that experience is. Is the refuse. Like if you go to a certain hotel or you use a certain Uber driver, it's all about the refuse especially Uber in in the US. If you use an Uber, you you always basically. You want the drivers that are like four stars and up. Five star yeah, driver
1: would be four and a half stars and up. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, four and a half stars yeah. and up. And it's also the experience. Like, how well is the the person able to communicate with you? Can they solve a problem for you? For instance, you're late. What kind of music do they have, like in the car? So all of a sudden, it's just not a mode of transport anymore. It's also it has to be a mode of transport that's. That provides a positive like experience. experience yeah. it, so,
1: it, it, it enhances your travel.
0: So your and, commute. so these kind of things, when I studied these kind of things, I looked at it from an entrepreneurial perspective.
1: And yeah, you got that nudge from your father basically at that time to kind of start identifying certain aspects or certain tendencies, right? coming back to your example of getting raised up in that, that family. In my case, I just I wasn't much directed in that way. I basically kind of just fell into it. I didn't even try on the corporate but the,
0: side. So here's, here's the interesting thing. Before you tell a little bit more on, um, because I do want to have a little bit of background. Because I got the entrepreneurial tendencies. I was kind of groomed into it. But I wasn't allowed to work at my dad's companies as a teenager. And that had a very simple rule. One of the reasons was that I, would, I wouldn't get the real working experience.
1: It's that safety factor.
0: Yeah, I but think. it's also okay. like, yeah, people are not going to be, they're going to be afraid to give feedback because I'm the son of the owner. Yeah. So he never put me in a situation where, even though later in life, these kind of situations still happen. But I started working at the age of 12, I think, selling fireworks. And I only did vacation jobs. And then I stayed a year. I took a leap year to get a little bit more experience, work experience. So what I find extra interesting is that you actually never really I never the I, route I, of
1: No, but basically to add to that, I actually never had that part-time job experience in my teenage years either. So it was basically school home for me. So I wasn't was exposed to that at all. So I'm kind of like the complete opposite of the spectrum if you have that spectrum from experiencing and these tendencies. But that's an extreme amount of
0: freedom. Yeah. Right? And to what extent was that freedom given Because you kind of obeyed the focus that was given by the providers, in this case, your parents.
1: Well, there wasn't much of a focus, I'd say. Look, I performed well in school with very little effort. So that was, uh, yeah, I I was one of those kids, like, with minimal studying and basically get get one of the So, yeah, you were smart. (laughs) And, you know, and that came in easy for me and so I spent a lot of my time look I wasn't even much into reading back then but if if I had to read stuff for school, yes I, I did the reading, but I found creative ways around it as well and to read summaries or watch movies and basically kind of I remember what I did like was solving problems. Basically I deliberately then study for a math class, uh, one, one of the matrix formulas. And do, during, I, I remember this quite vividly, during the test, I knew two concepts and I had to construct the solution through those two concepts. And I took a different route than was taught in the actual class and I got to the right a- answer. And I was but like... But did
0: you get all the points though? I don't remember, but because I, I had a similar experience. Yeah, and cause, I, cause I, I get,
1: scored pretty really high.
0: But I didn't get the points.
1: Yeah. So. so I
0: had the same experience as you had, but not as good because I didn't get all, all the points. And when I went to the math teacher, and I was like, hey, but I got the same result. You say, yeah, but the method doesn't work because I used a different method. And I was like, hey, but the result is the same. And he said, dude, with this and this number, and I did the equation with those numbers, and it didn't match. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in
1: that case, yeah. But but in I, your I case, it, number it number might have number number actually, number. it, yeah, it might have number. actually
0: still worked.
1: Yeah, but again, in, in that case, I I wasn't also the kid that went to you know to debate or discuss much. I like, oh, okay, that's a great. And after the test score received, you see kids line up to try to get that perfect score or just that point one, so it rounds up easier <laughs> But I, oh, I, no, I
0: I just I just went because I felt I had the right answer but <laughs> I didn't choose I didn't choose the right the, way, the right way to solve it yeah so, but
1: yeah. coming back to that extreme yeah so I, I had that freedom to you know try a lot of stuff my mom put me through I think taekwondo I did swimming lessons I did archery for a time but these are just not even work-related stuff or career-related career stuff. So that support and freedom I, I did have. And I think what I took away from that upbringing is, you know, I also think that's where that value of freedom for me comes from, right? Valuing that, that ability to do things you want. And I guess that's kind of pushed me in the direction of, The the regular nine to five in a cubicle or in a office building is kind of crazy. And I try for some projects, I go to the the client's office for maybe half a day. And by the halfway mark, like maybe three hours in, I I start to lose it. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I need to go do something else.
0: (laughs) So this is interesting because in this sense, we're opposite. Yeah as an as an so i started out when i came back from my studies i started out as an entrepreneur and the reason why i took a day job because i founded two or three startups before i took a, a quote-unquote day job and i only took the day job because of a personal situation that i had to go back to the netherlands i and i had to have Actual job to yeah, apply so to, to to go back out
1: of necessity to <laughs> so, kind of
0: but one of the reasons I net. found an interest is because I was I got I went as a intern to be able to apply for a visa for the mm-hmm. Netherlands because I didn't apply for I had the opportunity to apply for a, for a migrant workers visa when I graduated because I did my master's degrees in Europe. Yeah, so I actually had, but I left that because I wanted to go back to Suriname. So when I had to go back to to the Netherlands, I had to apply for a visa and I had to work somewhere. So I took an internship. And when I took the internship, it was just to learn the skills that were necessary for me to get the visa. So once I got the visa, I actually came back as an interim manager to set up a business, help set up a business for six months and then kind of leave and start on my own again. And I ended up staying five years, and the reason why I ended up staying five years was the camaraderie of having colleagues. Mm-hmm. So as an extrovert, or a mainly extroverted person, sitting all alone by myself, in that time was like the most crueling thing to have. Like,
1: yeah, so Working in, 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 in that, an office space so with, with
0: 10, 15 colleagues, was for me the easiest decision was like, yeah, I want to experience.
1: That That's the other aspect in which we kind of differ in extreme opposites. Well, extreme not so much, but yeah, in in opposite directions. So it's really interesting to hear this again, actually in, in this context, having these comparisons and coming back to the topic of entrepreneurship and the work for yourself dream. We've kind of both came to a, Similar or parallel path. And when we open this, we also discuss, right? Or pose the question, like, why is it so hype now? Why is it so romanticized now? Where does this dream come from? Is it out of necessity? Is it out of what the influencers paint on social media? Is it out of, I don't know, the economic situation? So, How do you see that now? I I want to
0: differentiate between two things. I want to differentiate between economic and societal changes that has built the landscape for entrepreneurship as we know it now. And I also want to be a picture of why I think certain aspects are overhyped. So which do we want to start off with first?
1: Let's start with the overhype and then transition to the... Okay. So the first
0: thing... The first thing, it's a buzzword. I think we can agree on that. Like, you know, it's an even,
1: you know, it's an even bigger buzzword than entrepreneur. Tell me, founder.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I found it something. Oh, I found a lot. Like, most of what I found it is quite useless, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But, 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 uh, yeah. So, but the, the entrepreneurship is kind of, kind of getting a lot of attention. Like, I mean, like you're an entrepreneur, but. How much does your company make in a year? Right. Or how valid is, is what you're providing? So, and that's also the second part of, of value creation, right? Like how important is value creation? And I think there's a difference there, but let's, let's stick to the, to the overhyde part. It's, it's definitely gra- glamorized the entrepreneurial journey because like there are certain books and I think one of the main books is, is rich that poor Dad, which kind of discusses like the economic benefits of entrepreneurship. And that makes people think like, Oh, okay. So if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to make so much more money. So that's also like, it's not, the book doesn't use that philosophy in that way. So it's funny that it's you me- getting misinterpreted.
1: Yeah. So it's funny that you yeah. mentioned the rich dad, poor that in the context of entrepreneurship, because maybe it, it is related, but when I read it, uh, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, yeah. then, no, no, not 15, yeah, probably 10, 10 or 12 years. It was more about the aspect of, you know, you have your rich dad and your poor dad, basically their perspectives on how they feel money as in a tool or as a, a consumption thing. Yeah. And I think that kind of, triggered a lot of people to start thinking how can they use money as a tool or how can they create something yeah. that, that, that generates. And so that's what and I don't I think like. that's that's yeah. the So the more misinterpretation the high, yeah.
0: because I'm pretty sure that that it wasn't meant to be viewed that way. But in a society that we live in now where the monetary and the financial importance is, is quite high at this all time high. Because people seek towards financial independence, which is a different topic. But the reason it's so popularized is because of the importance of money and because there's a misconception about entrepreneurship being about money, which it isn't. Like if you look at start with a wife from Simon Sinek, you get a totally different approach. If you, so I think there's a big difference between people who are young, growing up, wanting to become an entrepreneur because they can make more money in their right. perception. And people who are actually moving away from the corporate field because it's becoming so diluted with money-making decisions that they're like, "But this is not what I'm about," and start their own business or become an entrepreneur to steer away specifically from those money-making decisions. Because they feel like
1: apply their talents to what they're good at, right? Yes, solving. Maybe you want to do yoga or something. So, solving that kind of mental gap that you find in 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 many people having suffered yourself through that corporate environment or something it's the same.
0: It's the same with the four-hour work week. It's like when people touch upon that and if they skim through the book, they're like, yeah, okay, so I'm going to not work nine to five anymore. But then, and their focus is on working as less as possible. But I think there's so many more messages in the book. And and I feel that's the same with Richard Put that it's like, okay, yes, of course. You can build up a better point pension for yourself if you're if you're an entrepreneur. You could, you could. It doesn't okay, mean so you do. Yeah.
1: No, I'm I am i gonna refrain from bringing yeah. that up.
0: Right? <laughs> because it's so, the
1: other topic.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's what and, and so that's what you get as well. And then also the success stories always overshadow shadow failures. Oh yeah. Like, like for every one dozen thousand failures, yeah, one entrepreneurial a thousand. failures. So that's why they have like these F-up nights now that you kind of, yeah, this is my screw-up. This is what I did wrong. And I got approached like years ago to be part of of one of these F-up nights. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have one F-up, right? I think my story is that I had like 10 F-ups and they're all small F-ups and journeys and things that I've learned. I don't have one that I regret, that I think like, oh, I wish I never did that. I don't have that. Okay, so I, yeah.
1: Question on that on the F yeah. side and maybe we're gonna for too much, but if, if I do reel me back into this topic. So we we mentioned risk and aside from the failure, the risk yeah. of failure and the risk that's associated with entrepreneurship in the beginning. So yeah. would you consider yourself more risk averse or risk taking?
0: So I definitely take more risks than others. Like, if I didn't take any risks, there would be no social media conference. Mm. So now, it wouldn't exist. But I do take less risks than my dad, for instance. I like my risks to be calculated in a way that I feel comfortable in them. And I think every entrepreneur does that. But my comfort level is not as big as as like the entrepreneurs that make big. big and when
1: when you calculate this risk, what do you weigh in? Like what's the, the potential drawdown that you're willing to accept or be comfortable with, be it economically, reputationally, or
0: just so when when I take a, a risk, and I think it helps that my business partners are kind of similar to how I approach things. I'm more risk taking them. They are often, they are more conservative than I am. But the thing about risk is like, let's say we're investing in something. Yes, I will, I will. we will buy a car for one of our managing partners. Please. Like a company-owned car, right? Or at yeah. least a company finance car. Let me say it correctly. Fi- company finance car. I'm only willing to take the risk for the down payment if I'm 100% sure that we will be able to cover it financially. So I can't take that risk if the salaries for May or June of this year can be paid. Yeah. So it's basically be
1: a- you need to project it and you
0: have uh, to, you have to do a projection. Is it possible within the projection? Is there a buffer? How much buffer do you need? Like those are kind of risks that I'm willing to take like pre-financing stuff for my team that I feel is important for them or they tell us important to them. I think that's, that's something that you can do.
1: And let's but, say in the case of the conference, like yeah. what, what are some risks there that you had to weigh?
0: So the biggest risk at the conference, especially the first one, is you don't know how many attendees you're gonna have. Yeah, so if yet, stand... because they have
1: no precedents yet, right? So, you, so you don't
0: have... There are a lot of events organizers in Suriname that, oh, they go all out. And the, the advantage that they have is when the event is super successful,
1: yeah, the they is... make
0: tons of money. Yeah. They make loads of money. Right? And sometimes they bum out and they have to go into their own pocket. I don't like to go into my own pocket. So I would bootstrap. So, for instance, if there would be a budget, say there's a budget of $50,000 for the conference, right? And I'm already foreshadowing that we're only going to have like 40000 worth of revenue. I will scale down the conference towards $40,000 of cost. And I will strip and I would bootstrap the hell out of it. And you do take some risk because the first conference, we didn't know financially what we would entail. So for the first conference, we, I would say broke even, but if you would count in the hours of our team into it, logistics-wise, organizing event, doing the marketing, there would have been a loss
1: yeah so basically all the external costs broke yeah if
0: you would if you would properly budget it yeah you you would you would come to a small loss not a significant loss but a small right and then it grew from there and we've and it's also kind of we try to keep the prices reasonable like for instance if Conferences that we go to, like conferences that I've been to, like San Diego now, social media marketing world, it's between $1,500 and $2,000 a yeah. person for a ticket, right? Inbound, content marketing world, similar events in the U.S. that are interest lists, they're all above a 1000 U.S. easily. And we keep the prices to a couple of hundred dollars. And if you buy early, you can get it even cheaper. So these are decisions that we have to make. I can't fully disclose all the details, but if we realize that the budget, we're not be able to cover the budget, we have to scale down. And what the entrepreneurial side comes in is finding creative ways around it to make it possible. Like, for instance getting a world-renowned keynote speaker to CERN, we can't pay 20000 US dollars yes. for a speaking fee. So you have to be creative. And that's where the creative entrepreneurial part kicks in to like, how can we get somebody that has $20,000 as an international speaking fee to speak in CERN? How, how can we make that possible? Right? And that's, that's basically where you have to leverage. We had a lot, a lot of, Sponsors and partners coming in with costs that you usually wouldn't be able to cover, but they covered them for us as return for sponsor perks, for instance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's where you have to start. But I mean, that's one approach. The other approach would be to say like, listen, if I have 750 US dollars per ticket, I only need a third of the people to, to join the conference and, and we have to financially the same result
1: yeah but, but the, the, the thing, like what's the, the impact right and and that's uh,
0: where I, I feel like it's being overhyped as soon as you start doing it for the money like we don't host the social media conference here now for the money we host the social media conference because we want to have a conference where like-minded people can get together and network and have fun that's the main concept so if I have to choose between having 400 attendees for an average of $150 versus having 80 attendees for an average of $750, I would always go for the 400 participants because I want to have as many people experience as possible because most people don't have the budget to go to the US or to Europe to experience a similar economy. So I want the same quality for less money available for a larger group of people. That's our objective. And when it's being ro- romanticized, like, oh, wow, this is so awesome. And then everybody wants in because everybody's like, oh, we're going to make a lot of money with this conference. And they see the budget and they're like, okay, but are you paying yourself? And then people are realizing like, okay, that's, that's different. Or they're like, okay, but I, if I if I don't benefit from it, I'm not going to yeah. do it. But I, I assume... Financially uh, benefit from it. Not
1: just for you, but also the people intending. There has been a lot of spin-off from just intending the conference.
0: Oh, yes. People yes, meeting. Definitely. So
1: basically, if you look yeah. at the reward, the risk reward, yeah. the risk, I mean, the reward isn't immediately at the conference, but the spin-off of that reward is maybe tenfold or,
0: or so maybe a,
1: sustainable. A, a,
0: these are interesting... Food for time. So, for instance, social media examiner who organizes social media marketing world. The events are basically the revenue model. So, they don't, as much as we do, work with these companies as clients. So that's also where it becomes difficult because we we're now kind of moving towards year-on-planning and preparation towards the conference. But we still have our regular clients and we can say to our regular clients like hey for the next three mo- three weeks we won't be able to serve you because we're busy with a conference so you can't do that because that's still our main focus like yeah. the main source of income for our company is still the model clients that we have it's not the conference so there's also a business model where you could say like okay but i'm going to focus solely and mainly on the conference But that's a different kind of model and that's something that's different. And I think where it goes wrong is that event organizers, they focus on like, oh, I can make a lot of money. And if they solely do it for the money and not really focus on the attendees and what the attendees want, you've kind of, you you kind of lose them. Even, even with us looking at what the attendees want, we even lose attendees just because. Financially, they're not able to pull it off their their day job doesn't allow it or they're too busy, or even like the program is not exciting for, enough for them they didn't they want a different kind of speakers like we address all these issues, but we're not always able to to find a fit for for everyone so these are really things that you have to deal with, but getting a little bit back to like why it's it's becoming. Overrated. I think there's also a concept of overnight success. Like, yeah, they see, like, it's, you know, all we all know the painting of the like the tip of the iceberg, and then you see everything that 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 goes down there.
1: Yeah, basically and, the the company that sold for a billion dollars, yeah. having built up over fifteen years, yeah. maybe, and then the timing just happens to be right. And the other myth is. I think since we're bringing that up, you brought in overnight success. How much does the concept of luck play a role in entrepreneurship and having a successful undertaking?
0: How you, I think perseverance is more important than luck. I think perseverance is much more important than luck.
1: Right, because if you pers- persevere long enough, that opportunity will cross your path. Yeah, it depends. depends. Like, with
0: what it, with what intent? Like, yeah. <laughs> it also depends. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, like, persevering scammers are also quite successful sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it, it, it's got
1: both ways. So, but could you quite, uh, <laughs> could you argue that, that these persevering scammers are also entrepreneurs?
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take them on the right spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> <but, laughs>
1: Yeah, morally you're morally not correct. But basically no, you know, no
0: like... but like like if you if you catch do you remember the movie Catch Me If You Can? With yeah, Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio yeah. and Tom Hanks. Of... Yeah. I mean, from that perspective, it's it's interesting. He was definitely an entrepreneur. Like he was. Like I wouldn't call it like a legitimate business, but he could consider himself an, an entrepreneur. For those of you who are less familiar, you should should definitely take so t- take a look at a movie because it's very interesting. It's like they could do a remake of that with a digital age. Definitely. Like easily take to do that. But yeah, I definitely don't want to go that down that rabbit hole. But I do feel like we, we get to see so much overnight success. And it's interesting to see like a lot of people see Mr. Beast making videos now. and think like, yeah, I want to become like Mr. Beast.
1: When did Mr. Beast start his YouTube?
0: (laughs) I have a, I'm really hoping it's still on there. Mr. Beast has a a YouTube video of him when he was a teenager. Yeah. Which he sent to himself like a certain amount of years from now. And he said, like, if by that time I don't have a million subscribers, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, he was like saying, like, it has to be. Like, if 10 years, I don't know exactly how many years he said. Or how many years? To to how how much older Mr. Beast he was talking? About. Yeah, that time, he started like, in
1: twenty twelve, so <laughs> over a decade ago.
0: So Mr. Beast has already been on YouTube for over ten years, and like there are very few YouTubers, and you can rise. And, uh, a I, lot I gotta say,
1: now. I actually only heard of Mr. Beast in the past what two years.
0: Yeah, when he kind of really blew up. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I started watching his content when he was actively campaigning for PewDiePie to remain number one on YouTube. Yeah, because he was like one of PewDiePie's biggest fans. For years, he was one of PewDiePie's biggest fans. And then all of a sudden, he started. But <clears throat> the YouTube channel is really a business he's already been offered a, a billion dollars for his YouTube channel.
1: Yeah, because they're the reach, the yeah. effect, yes. And he
0: rejected it. And I think Patrick, David, but David made a calculation of what it was worth and it was already worth way much more than And then we're not talking about all the other channels that he has because he now has... So that's, that's another thing about entrepreneurship. What Mr. Beast did was insane. So people started copying his content in other countries, like exactly the same content, exactly the same content. And, <clears throat> and instead of continuously, he 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 whined about it a little bit in the beginning, but instead of continuously whining about it, like it, he started setting up separate channels in different languages. Mr. Beast, Espanol, Mr. Beast,
1: so different language. Basically, covering that <laughs> market. Kind of
0: taking like, their, their market share out of it because then people are like, oh, yeah, they're originally. So in those countries now, they also know, like, okay, but they're originally Mr. Beast video, So, senor, Peace. Yeah. <laughs> so you can <laughs> no longer copy it either. So I think that's brilliant. Uh, the festivals is also brilliant. I mean, you can get this. Is chocolate bars like in in, in in mainstream stores in the U.S. as well? I think that's definitely and the idea to build like a, a Hollywood type of studio. He basically built a Hollywood type. Yeah, studio the warehouse
1: basically just just for
0: YouTube videos. Immense. So yeah, and but on some of
1: production, I watch a few videos on yeah. some production. They even lose millions of dollars of money just for the production, but. The, the views and the basically yeah the, the reach they get basically gets offset by the other types of products. Obviously. I mean, he's,
0: all of his movies, are all of his YouTube videos are trending. All of them end up in trending. And he also, so he changed the concept from weekly postings to monthly postings, and he just puts a banger out every month.
1: Yeah, he, he puts it all in. He basically yeah. cracked the code to the algorithm. And optimizes social media, thumbnails and everything. So as we wrap up, you got a few minutes left. You mentioned two categories. The other aspect was the societal and economic impact it has on this hype of entrepreneurship. So
0: your yeah, take on that. So it's a lot. So when I shared GPT, Basically, I'm gonna tell you what ChatGPT gave me, and then we can discuss which sounds more interesting. Because for that, we don't need ChatGPT. But it was good to get like a, a, a bullet of it. So the first one is economic recession and job insecurity that that drove people towards entrepreneurship. The second one is technological advancements and digital transformation. The third one is, I think, most interesting one: the access to information and online resources. I feel that's that's my 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 main focus when it comes to entrepreneurship. The fourth one is rise of social media influencer culture. The fifth one is shift in work culture and values. Also very interesting one. Sixth is the more supportive startup ecosystem, which I don't fully agree with, but I do understand that it works for Yeah, companies. I have
1: to kind of, yeah. uh, if you're on that one. Yeah. The, the, from the ones you mentioned. Okay, like, and then uh, two
0: more? Changing attitudes towards failures, that's a really interesting one. And increasing desire for purpose and impact. And that's kind of a generational one. So there are a lot of interesting ones.
1: I think the biggest ones from what you mentioned there is the way I see it, at least the access to information with the internet and social media, just the sheer amount of more exposure you get to these things, it's crazy, and then Adjacent to that is obviously the influencer social media stuff. And the other aspect that's interesting was that of the generational work culture shift that's been happening.
0: So that's a big one. I think, have we discussed that one on the podcast already?
1: Briefly mentioned, but I don't think we went too in-depth, but we don't have time to (laughs) go much in-depth unless you want to go over today.
0: So but in short, you have the boomer generation, generation Y, X, which is considered the millennial generation, and generation Z, so the fourth one. So basically there are four generations now on the work floor, right?
1: Yeah. Boomers, XYZ. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And the Zs because, are just yeah. getting in and they The Zs, they've, Zs are just getting in. They've been they have- brought up in the internet social media age.
0: Yeah, so but that the, doesn't make them tech savvy. No. So I think that's the also
1: most influenced by, I'd say, mainstream media and to a certain degree entitlement.
0: Yeah, so they're they're they are definitely the most entrepreneurial minded in the sense that they want to work for themselves. Seeking independence, right? So that's that's definitely. I also feel they're much more Money driven, as in incentives. Unless, and I had a really big discussion on this with my team actually last Friday. I asked my team if they would rather have two hundred dollars or a hundred. Or so, option A was two hundred dollars, and the other option was a hundred dollars and a voucher for two hundred dollars. And basically everyone in my team, it also depended on the voucher.
1: Yeah. But everyone yeah. in my
0: team was saying like, yeah, we'll, we'll take the $200. Cash. And I was like, but the other one is $300. And they were like, yeah, but that's $200 cash. And I was like, listen, you could sell the voucher with a loss of $50 mm-hmm. to anyone and you would have still had $50 extra. And they were like, yeah, but the work that I have to put in to find somebody to buy it. And I was just stunned. Because I I look at it from a totally different perspective. Yeah,
1: basically the marshmallow test. Are you familiar with the marshmallow
0: test? Do explain explain.
1: Basically, it was a test on seeing how... about delaying gratification, basically. So they put, I think, kids in a room or offered them marshmallows, either now or... They take it now. So to immediately eat it or they delay it. And maybe after a few days or later time, they get an extra one because they delayed their gratification. And it's interesting to see that over time, the, the time horizon of people has, has gotten shorter to immediate. And that comes with the, the impact that I think. Social media has created this instant gratification, the dopamine, the now, now, now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely instant gratification. Another thing that's also trust. Like how much do you trust? With a marshmallow, for instance, how much do you trust that you're really going to get it? And like
1: and employees then have been screwed over. over. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah so but also employees have been screwed over quite a lot in like previous, previous decades. So there's also a, a, a situation where they get
1: pensions and now.
0: People, yeah, and like people tell me like, hey, don't take that risk. Don't take that risk. Don't take, take the money now. Take it that you have. that it's short. So that also plays. So
1: well. if yeah. you would have asked me that question, I would have also took the $200 now because yeah. I can do something better with the $200 now than the deposit. No, but I,
0: did, I didn't say now. I was just saying $200 or $100 and a $200 voucher. Yeah. Like for me, like my perception, and I really had to empathize with them to understand their point of view on it and I I I learned from it and I understood it but for me a hundred dollars and two hundred dollar voucher is three hundred dollars the only thing is you have to be creative on how do I benefit from the from the voucher
1: so it's basically a calculation risk calculation that you're gonna make with a time time basis as well like the time frame you're gonna go through it and the as they said, effort and
0: what yeah. you're going to do. And they had a fair point. So, so a lot of them were like, yeah, but if it was a different voucher, yes. But this voucher, no. So that played a role. Yeah. And another thing that played a role was taxes as well. Right? If you have to pay for the extra $100, you have to pay a certain amount of taxes.
1: Basically what and the, the f- lotteries have, if you see a million dollar lottery. Like they don't, the people don't get a million dollars, people.
0: No, but, but these are like things that you have to, have to discuss. And I also feel like when it comes to overhype, but that's, that's the often the, the, the G, the generation C. But now you also have like the difference between the main difference between the millennials and Gen X is also that the millennials have definitely said like, okay, I want quality of life over state of life. And we're seeing a movement within even the generation X saying, like, hey, wait, yeah, I want that as well. They're seeing like, hey, like, it's nice. If I can work here, I can have X amount of vacations. I can drive a nice car. I have some certain benefits that are for my state of life, they're important. But then realizing that
1: quality quickly define those two briefly, Mm -hmm. and then we can close up state of life and quality of life. So state of of life,
0: for me, the the differentiating factor between the state of life and quality of life is the mental aspect and having to do things you like doing.
1: So that's state of life.
0: So if you do state of, if you're like, I want to focus on state of life, it's more status-driven. So you'll accept a little bit more to keep a certain state of life. Okay, yeah. Whereas the millennials will be like, yeah, but there's so many other options. I'm just not going to do this. It's not worth it for me. I'm just leaving. The status, I mean, the state of life is not worth instead it. Instead
1: of three days vacation. <clears throat> for I'll,
0: I'll, just take, I'll, I'll just take one vacation instead of three. I'll just drive a lo- around in a $10,000 car instead of a $40,000 car. At the end of the day, it's, it's a mode of transport. I don't really yeah, care uh, about people. Added value. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about people that look at car that I drive and see it as being important for my job. Right? The car that I drive is to get me from point A, to point B. It does shouldn't equate in the value of my position within the company or my actual work. But when you look at it from a state of life perspective, it's like, no, that's not the case. State of life, people will also Rather talk with somebody who's properly and well dressed, because for them, being well dressed is part of the excellence.
1: Yeah, it's, but it's also professional the the association that it has created over the years, right? Uh, like what professionalism looked like. So it's basically been shaped been manufactured. Yeah, maybe too extensive, but it's basically what's been expected by society as the norm.
0: I think that's something we should discuss for a different topic and a different episode of Social Confos. Indeed. This has
1: been another fun conversation on a bit philosophizing on the topic of entrepreneurship and where the work for for yourself dream comes from, which we actually didn't go too much into the... Actually, we covered quite a lot now that I think about it. Yeah. So for the people who tuned in, thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, we're on Instagram now at Confos, C-O-N-F-O-E-S and also subscribe to our YouTube for the weekly notification when we go live. And as always, the audio versions will be published on the websites at the end of the month. Any final thoughts and close it up, Channel?
0: It was another fun episode. For those of you ch- tuning in live, thank you for tuning in live. For those who are listening to the recordings, thank you for choosing your time and spending your time with us. This has been Social Confos. We'll be here back next week, same place, same time. Bye-bye.